Section 7 of Stories Without Tears. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Richard Potenza. Stories Without Tears by Barry Payne. One Stone. She believed, as all good women do, that tobacco which has been seized by the customs is destroyed in a furnace known as the Queen's Pipe and that auctioneers are in the habit of saying, Going, going, gone. She firmly held that the liqueur known as Benedictine was made by the monks of that name, and that a good woman has a legal right to keep any property that she may find in the street. She will not, when the time comes, doubt for one moment the genuineness of the long letter signed Mata Quia Sciet a Liquid, vide the autumnal correspondence entitled Ah, Babies Beastly, in the telegraph for the year after next she was convinced at all times on demand and without previous evidence of the immorality of any artist and the respectability of any member of parliament her husband after the manner of bad wise men never corrected these or any other of her cherished beliefs in the partnership of marriage a trusting spirit in the feminine partner is a valuable asset and should be preserved why wake up a hunger for facts scientific but frequently inconvenient besides he may have found from experience that the only thing that made absolutely no mental effect on his wife was undeniable and unimpeachable evidence it was never sufficiently picturesque and it did not seem to her to be quite sportsmanlike but the withered relic of an overworked conscience did occasionally disturb him in the matter of agnes's medicine chest perhaps it was as much selfishness as conscience he did not like the idea of having to give evidence at the inquest perhaps it was also cowardice he would as soon have ventured to speak rudely to bimbi in his wife's presence as to interfere with the medicine chest bimbi was an overfed persian cat of irregular life uncertain temper and great beauty and yet the man did not love her i am not trying to defend the man considering what i have to tell concerning him that would be impossible if he considered, as he said he did, that the medicine chest was a source of danger to Agnes, to her children, to her friends, and to her servants, why did he not check it in its early stages, before the passion for keeping a go-as-you-please free dispensary had finally mastered her? It had begun years before, on a peaceful and bright afternoon in June, when Agnes almost thought that she had a headache. Her friend, Mrs. Marston Wells, a charming and sympathetic lady, still had half a bottle left of the only thing that ever did her hay-fever any good. She gave this to Agnes, and one dose cured her completely in three minutes, and she said that she had never seen anything like it. She gave a little to the parlour-maid for her chapped hands, and subsequently the parlour-maid gave notice. That was the beginning. That was the time when the man ought to have interfered, if he ought ever to have interfered at all. He simply grinned bitterly and let it go, which was unmanly. Then Agnes began to read advertisements of what a prejudiced medical profession is wont to call quack medicines. She took those advertisements en bloc, net, without reduction. She read how Lance Corporal, name suppressed, writing from South Africa, a vague but patriotic address, said that many a time and oft Timson's tablets for the turn had stood between him and death. Timson's turn tablets were on her washstand, or ever the sun had set. They found a fitting partner in Lane's lotion for the languid on the following day. From these advertisements she acquired much physiological and therapeutical knowledge. 
She learned the functions of the pancreas, pronounced it as a dissyllable, and recognised the gravity of life. Chemists' shops began to have the fascination for her that the public house has for the drunkard. Even on her way to buy a hat, when every moment is of value, since it may happen that another woman has snapped up the only hat you really want one second before your arrival, she would pause to look at a tempting array of tabloids in files. She would go on, hesitate, turn back, purchase. It is useful to have these things in the house. Also, as she often observed, one never knows. Likewise, the world is full of symptoms, and if you go to look for them, you will find them. Mrs. Marston Wells caught the infection and bought medicines furiously. Agnes at once increased her armament to meet competition. Her collection now occupied a cupboard, always referred to as the medicine chest. Their method of treatment was very similar. The last purchase was almost always the remedy indicated. Their rivalry was a friendly one. They often met and talked pills together pleasantly. Sometimes an exchange would be effected. So many chlorate of potash lozenges for a menthol cone. And the trusting spirit grew more grandly brilliant than ever. Agnes was ready to diagnose and treat anything from a chilblain to Landry's paralysis. It was the knowledge of this that made the man anxious. One morning his mind was so much occupied with a picture of what his wife would look like in the dock that he forgot to put his cigarette case in his pocket. He discovered the omission with something of a shock in the hall just as he was going out. He put down his hat on the hall table and went back for the cigarettes. When he returned, he found that Bimby had swept his hat off the table onto the floor and was now engaged in a patient but fruitless endeavour to get into ambush in the hut's interior. She only succeeded in scratching him once while he was removing her. According to the man's own statement, the cat then fell down the basement stairs. That or something more or less resembling it is not unlikely. At tea that afternoon, just as Agnes was pouring the rest of the cream into a saucer for Bimby, the man observed with a touch of gentle melancholy that he was afraid that the cat was not well. He was asked to explain himself further. Well, he said, she was going on in a very queer way in the hall this morning. Seemed awfully excited. Yes, said his wife. These Persians have such delicate nervous constitutions. That is why I tell you that you must never speak sharply to her. You must try to remember that Bimbi is not a dog. The man said that he would try not to forget. I suppose, he added, you haven't got anything in your medicine chest you could give her. But certainly I have. I can see from the way her ears twitching that she's nervously upset. What she requires is a little bromide. She'll take it in the cream and never know anything about it. I'll be back in a moment. No sooner had she left the room than the brute to whom she was married took a very small bottle from his pocket and poured a few drops of it into the cream. Then he said, "'Good-bye, Bimbi.' His wife had changed the lines of her treatment on the stairs. She returned with a ten-grain antipyrine powder and a digestive globule. She put these into the cream and invited Bimbi to drink. Bimbi, with an affected air of bored conciliation, began upon the cream, and doubtless would have finished it but for the fact that she had to stop in the middle in order to die. She died with great rapidity and precision. "'Bimbi!' cried Agnes. "'I've killed Bimbi!' "'Looks like it,' said the liar and murderer, whom Agnes called her husband. "'You ought really to be more careful how you play about with those drugs. Suppose you had given that dose to one of the children.' She was a little late for dinner that night, 
She had been busy destroying the contents of the medicine chest and had not noticed the time. "'I suppose,' said this poltroon next morning at breakfast, "'I had better look in at the cat shop some time today "'and get you some sort of an animal to take the place of—' "'No, no!' she interrupted. "'No cat can ever be quite what Bimby was.' Let me do plain justice to the blackguard whose actions it is my painful task to relate. In reply he refrained from saying what he thought. Also he gave Agnes her head in Regent Street that afternoon, and she bought a bronze Buddha, a long turquoise chain, and some India-red matting wherewith to culture the servants' bedrooms, which things are a comfort and consolation in time of bereavement. And he dropped that little bottle into the canal and told the man who accused him of looking pleased with himself that he had just killed two birds with one stone. Pressed to explain himself further, he said that he spoke in parables, and that these things were an alligator. What can you say for a man like that? Nothing, of course. Let's say it. End of section 7